Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Throwback Book Stack. If you haven't listened to our podcast before, I'm one of your hosts, Kelly. And I'm Emily. And we are a podcast where we go and we reread the books that we loved as kids, and now we look at them as adults and see, do we still love them? Do we now hate them? Do we judge ourselves for our taste? Do we question our parents ever letting us read these books? Uh, this week, we are reading Anna Green Gables, which is a 1908 novel by L.M. Montgomery. It's a Canadian book. It's a very old book. It is a classic book. It is a book that has been read by everyone on the planet except for me. Yeah, it is a classic. I assume you've heard of it, even yes. if you haven't <laughs> read it. Um, it's also, I want to point out, the first in a series of Anne books. There's I, seven of them? I think so. I don't know if I read all seven, to be quite honest. There's six of them, and then there was a prequel written after she died. Yeah, this one was definitely the most famous, but if you liked it, I feel like it was like the gateway into the rest of the Anne books. It's the first one, so I would hope so. All right. Well, good point. <laughs> <laughs> it's also been translated into 36 languages. They've sold over 50 million copies this book is everywhere. Um, it's been made into multiple radio dramas and multiple TV series. Uh, it's been done as multiple different stage plays, including a musical, television movies. In Japan, they made an anime of it. Um, there's also like a bunch of web productions. Like the people have done web series with different immersive media telling the story through social media. There's This has been adapted about 8,000 times, and I have seen none of the adaptations. Most recently, I think there was a Netflix show. Huh. And our movie, it's not called Anna Green Gables, though. It's called Anne. It's something weird. It's like Anne with Anne the with red an hair. E. Oh, Anne with an E. I can Google real fast. Yeah. <laughs> a dramatic television series produced and broadcast by CBC in Canada and released through Netflix internationally. Thanks, Wikipedia. So it's been done a lot of times. I've actually never seen any of the adaptations, but I did read the books when I was younger. Um, I was actually, I feel like I was given the first book for Christmas by someone who I can't remember who. I mean, my whole family knew I liked to read, and this What's is the like... the ghost that lives in your house? Yeah, and this is a classic, so I feel like it was just an easy, like, oh, classic for young girls. Here you go. I did not, and I feel like there's going to be a point where we find just how many of these older classic books about girls I didn't read, because uh, also on the list of stuff I didn't read is Little Women and The Secret Garden, so it's going to be a dark time for me. <laughs> I read both of those. I also, I've always been the type who likes reading things that are kind of like in the culture. Mm -hmm. Like I don't like being left out. And it's not like this was like the hot book of 1993 or whenever I read it. But, you know, people talk about it and I'm glad I read it. And I think it's one of those books who I would have read. Like if I hadn't read it as a kid, I would have read when I was older anyway, because I like to get references and know book things. Yeah, no, it's a book that's um, everywhere. I just... Did not. So everything I knew about it was through cultural osmosis. What did you know about it? I'm interested going in. I knew there was an orphan girl. I knew she lived at a place called Green Gables. I knew she was one of those, you know, troublesome orphan in sort of the style of Pollyanna and all those like very independent, strong-minded, willful young ladies of interesting role modelage. Did you know it was Canadian? No, that is what I learned when reading it. I went, oh, these are all Canadian places. <laughs> like if I, if someone had asked me, hey, where does this take place beforehand? I probably would have shot in the dark and gone, England? Interesting. It's, I'm like, Green Gables? And with this, let's shoot in the dark for England. So no, I was not expecting Canada. It was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I feel like you don't 
hear a lot of great Canadian stories, at least where I live. I'm assuming there are more of them if you're closer to Canada or in Canada or have any sort of ties with Canada. But, but we have not yeah. <laughs> had the need to pay attention to classic Canadian literature. Yeah. Like monsters. Yeah. So this was kind of nice. It was a nice different setting for me. Like not somewhere completely different, but like not America. And I feel like it definitely did read as not America. Although, you know, part of that might have also been that it's from like 1900. But in my mind, those two got kind of confused. So that's just how I picture Canada now. <laughs> Canada's perpetually trapped in 1908. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I got nothing. I've never been to Canada. I've heard it's lovely. I've been to Canada. I really love Canada. It's re- like my trips there have always been very lovely. I would leave you for Canada. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> I've watched a lot of Love It or List It. Does that count? No. That takes place in Canada. Yeah. Still. Looks lovely. I live in any of those houses. Uh, I mean, yes, that's generally my opinion on most HGD, HGTV shows. Except for the ones where they fix up to look. You know what? I'm getting off track. Yeah, but then you have guys come over and fix your house. It's all fine. No, but they, they take off a lot of 1970s things, and I would keep mm. those. Anyway, Anna Green Gables. So, Anne is an orphan. We meet her when she's been being picked up by a dude who we learn is named Matthew. He's like around 60. I'm pretty sure they say his age in the book is around there. Um, mm-hmm. And he goes to the train station to pick up what he thinks will be a young orphan boy who him and his sister, Marilla... I'm saying sister because when I was a child, I did not understand they were brother and sister, and I was very confused by their relationship. <laughs> But they are both adults. They live together. And since Matthew's getting older, they wanted to adopt a young orphan boy so that they basically had free help on the farm, which is how things worked back then. And instead, he finds this young girl who's been left there for him. And that is Anne. And on the ride home, she is, like, constantly chattering at him. And he kind of finds himself a little enchanted, even though he's a pretty, like... They keep calling him shy, but just, like, he's extremely shy. Like, he doesn't really talk to people. He's very, very, like, quiet, sticks to himself. They get home, kind of explain the mix-up. Marilla's like, we gotta send this girl back. But they can't do it right away. She has to stay with him a few days, and basically she ends up charming both of them, and they end up keeping her and not sending her back to the orphanage. And that's where the adventure begins! And by adventure, I just mean Anne settling into this life. There's not, like, a huge plot. The plot is just a kind of, like, girl coming of age. So you see Anne, like, meet all the village people. Um, You see her make a friend for the first time, go to school. Um, The big thing that keeps happening is that Anne has, besides the fact that she talks, like, nonstop, she also has, like, a huge imagination and is very, I want to say the word is extra (laughs) about everything. And so... Just by virtue of being, like, a little socially clumsy and a little, like, prone to mistakes and, like, a little... She makes a lot of funny mix-ups, you know? There's a lot of, like, I baked a cake for the preacher's wife and I used the wrong ingredient type things. Or a lot of, like, you know, she has a temper and she yelled at the Mrs. Rachel who lives next door and called her redheaded and that insulted her. The plot is not as existent, but it is based around her, like, imagination and her getting the way that she has affected these people's lives and stuff. But it basically goes, um, so first she meets um, Marilla's, like, best friend, Mrs. Rachel, who's kind of like the town gossip and busybody. 
Oh, a lot of this is also about kind of the town. Avonlea? Is that how we're saying it? The name of the town? Yes. Yeah, it's hard because when I was a kid and I first read this, um, so it's spelled A-V-O-N-L-E-A. And when I was a kid and I couldn't pronounce things, I would just make up a completely nonsensical way to pronounce it. And so even though I know this is wrong, I always want to call it uh, Avonlea. <laughs> I think it's just Avonlea. I think it's just Avonlea. But it's like a small town. So first she's introduced to Mrs. Rachel, who, as I said, she explodes on and then has to go like apologize and does this like completely over the top, like wailing and gnashing of teeth. Please forgive me. And like somehow charms her. Um, she meets the girl next door, Diana, who she becomes best friends with immediately. Eternal friends. Best yes. friends for all of time. They take their friendship very seriously. There are a couple of like, like I said, little mishaps, like the cake thing. Um, she goes to school for the first time and meets all the girls and boys there. She has a teacher who she hates, who's kind of a dick. Uh, she meets this boy, Gilbert, who, like, all the girls have a crush on. We're going to get more into Gilbert later. I would like to discuss him. But they get off on a bad footing, basically, when he is kind of, like, mean to her in a way that he usually gets away with. And she will not put up with his shit and basically starts a feud that lasts for years. <laughs> she starts a lot of clubs with all her little girlfriends. They have a writing club for a while where they write stories. They have, like, a dramatic play acting group i guess that's more informal but they reenact things um the teacher who's kind of bad quits eventually and they get a, a female teacher who's like amazing and everyone loves uh she accidentally gets diana drunk at one point something she thinks is basically like a juice is actually like a liqueur <laughs> and she's banned from seeing diana for a really long time from diana's mom until i think diana's cousins is that who the there's some babies that are related to her in some way staying at Diana's house and all the adults are out and they come down with a, a sickness and she runs over to get Anne and Anne literally saves their lives <laughs> and kind of redeems herself, obviously, with Anne or Diana's mom. What else happens? She still has her imaginations and stuff, but she starts to become a little more serious as she gets older. This book takes place over the course of like three or four years, maybe? Oh, there's like a, a long-standing thing with Marilla and Matthew where Anne dreams of like fashionable clothing, like puff sleeves specifically, but Marilla always buys her very severe, sensible clothing until finally one year Matthew buys her a dress with puff sleeves and Marilla kind of lets it go and then eventually kind of like loosens up a little bit on that, but that's like an ongoing plot line of Anne dreaming of these sleeves. Like I said, there's not literally a central conflict. It's more of just, like, watching this girl grow and watching a girl who's, like, very... What would stereotypically be played as, like, annoying just become more of a person. Part of it, if you dig deeper, I think, is the fact that she was an orphan and she's a little insecure and not used to this kind of life. She's not used to having people to chat at, and so she, like, overcompensates and just chats at them relentlessly. And, like, she goes overdramatic on all her emotions. But, like, honestly, she's been raised in an orphanage and hasn't had much time to, like, process real emotions that she's actually probably had and stuff. Um, so the book kind of wraps up on she becomes older. She's known for being very good at school. I'm not really sure how the school system here works. But basically, she goes to school in a one-room schoolhouse in the village. And the teacher 
every time they get old enough, they're allowed to take these exams to go to like a two year better school that's in the like city kind of my understanding is the school she's going to is so that she can train to become a teacher yeah it's a weird i guess it's it's kind of like yeah yeah and then she did get into an actual college in the end right but so she like goes to this school that's like a two-year program that she had to take a test to get into and it's like her and like three other people from this town including gilbert and she graduates from that and she does so well there in those two years, which BT dubs, those two years are summed up in like one chapter. Like it is yeah. very fast. It is it's a quick minute. A real like side note versus the long drawn out like you could take two chapters on one afternoon tea <laughs> happened when she was 12. So she goes to the school. She does so well that she gets a scholarship that would pay for a four year college. But when she comes home for the summer, first Matthew very suddenly dies from a heart attack. Her and Matthew have always been close ever since he brought her home. He's always stayed quiet, but never been, like, not shown that he definitely thinks, like, the sun rises and falls on Anne. Like, he loves her. She'll sit next to him while he does chores and chat away at her or at him, and he has always just, like, loved it. They've had, like, a very special bond. That happens, and then she finds out that Marilla's been having, like, severe eyesight problems and is basically going blind kind of isn't able to keep up with all of Green Gables on her own. And so Anne decides to pass up on the scholarship for the four-year college and stay in Avonlea and help Marilla and will hopefully be able to get a teaching job like somewhere in the area. And when Gilbert hears about this, and Gilbert has always kind of, it's come off as he has like a crush on her. And in recent years, they've kind of not become friends, but definitely become more like polite acquaintances friendly enemies yeah they're they're friendly rivals versus their like feud they had when they were younger he hears about that and he was supposed to teach the one-room schoolhouse in the town and he resigns his position so that Anne can have it and she like goes and thanks him and it's basically like the end of the book is definitely one of those endings that's like the beginning of the next chapter in her life it's her Really coming to a truce with Gilbert being like, we're friends. Thank you for doing this. And then also like making her decision that she's going to stay here and be a teacher and help Marilla versus going to college like she was going to do. I think that's a summary. Did I miss anything big? No, I think that hit everything. So I guess the question is, what was your impression of this book as a kid? And now what, what was it like reading it as an adult? Well, I definitely liked it as a kid. Like I read it more than once. I don't believe it was my favorite of the Anne books but then again beginnings and series rarely are for me mm-hmm. I generally like it more when you're already kind of more settled into the characters and there are certain scenes that stood out a lot like I obviously remember it all about the puff sleeves like that stood out very much in my head and you always remember sleeves. the clothing things you yeah always but it's awesome <laughs> it's such a big plot point like she really wanted those sleeves man Yeah, I remember the general idea of, like, a girl who was very dreamy and in her own head and, like, saw the world through a kind of different lens. And that was basically all I remembered. It was a little bit different than I remembered, (laughs) honestly. What did you think? Um, As a book, it sort of felt like a book I'd read before. I mean, you know, because we've read these books without really a plot, girl coming of age very feisty and engaging with the people around her that aren't necessarily um, up to dealing with her. 
I felt kind of like we've read books that have done it better. Uh, the True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle, I felt like kind of handled this topic in a way that worked better for me in that it was able to work a stronger through line and plot into it. This was a book. It was fun. Anne is a lot. Anne is a lot. Oh my God. If I were Anne's classmate, I don't know what I would have done. Either locked her in a closet or dropped out of school to get away from her. One of those two. Yeah, it was a little bit different because while reading it, I was not as charmed by her as all the people in the village were. She is the least charming person I have ever met. Yeah, and a lot of her speeches are a bunch. And it's like, I think maybe that's one of the reasons this one wasn't my favorite is because she does. I mean, you can even see by the end of the book, she's calmed down a bunch. The other ones are a little bit more plotty. So is this another case of you making me read the worst one in a series? Yeah, possibly. But you have to read this one to start out. Like You tell me that every time. And yet, (laughs) you also had me read the last one in a series before. So Yeah, that was funny. I did make you skip the middle. Well, I'm not (laughs) going to make you read the last one in this because I'm not sure I read it. But I definitely at least read the first three. I mean, there's not a hell of a lot more plot. But there is like a little bit more. There's, like, at least end goals that she's trying to achieve, whereas, like, even this where her goal for a little bit was to go to college and stuff, you don't even get that goal until at least, like, three-fourths in. No. If that. So She is so annoying. Yeah. So, like, that part was hard. I also just, like, with the writing was a little bit much for me in general, I think. Um, I made a note at one point that actually the writing in this book reminded me a lot of the writing in The Golden Compass. So I think it's funny that you didn't like it. But (laughs) I'm sorry, I really did make that note. But there's also, even when Anne isn't talking, everyone is talking. Like, there's a lot of plot and narrate. Like, even though there's info you find out by people talking out loud to themselves... Yeah. It started to really get to me. I was like, why is everyone in this book constantly talking out loud to themselves? I am wondering if this is why I always talked out loud myself as a kid. Because <laughs> you read it in books. Yeah, because like this is how everyone conveys things in books, but it's really not helpful in reality. Let me tell you, as someone who got some real questions when I was talking to myself in a women's restroom in a hotel as a child. <laughs> For me, there was two big problems with rereading this book, though, on the whole. The first one was that I found as an adult, Marilla was a lot more interesting than Anne, and I wanted her story. (laughs) The story, especially with Matthew, too, of, like, these two siblings who ended up so different, but also still, like, living together in a society where so much of it was based upon marriage, like, being both of them single and together, and her, like, being afraid of emotions... And being like so, there's so many passages in this book about her loving Anne but not really knowing how to show it. And you get a little bit of her history at the very end about how she one time had like a boyfriend and they got in a fight. They were both too stubborn to say sorry. (laughs) So he just like left forever. I almost wanted like her story instead of Anne's. Yeah, I think she, you know, at first she sort of felt like that very just uptight guardian but throughout it i mean yeah you got so many glimpses of her really being proud of Anne, not knowing how to talk about it and also her way of relating to other people in the town was so fraught in a lot of ways and the ways that other people would cast judgment on her about her decisions and the choices she was making with Anne was really interesting and yeah i felt like she had the really good story in here and i would have enjoyed that story and i thought that the other main problem i had with it rereading it as an adult was how much 
I disliked Gilbert. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't surprised about that the second he showed up, since I don't think there's ever been one of those, like, handy love interest friendly rival types that I have enjoyed. He's supposed to be the, like, ultimate endgame. It's, like, telegraphed all over the place. Yeah. And, like, I get that you can start out with a guy who's, like, not great at first and then, like, grows into a better character, which I do think he has grown up a little and changed by the end of the book. But the problem is not enough for me to really care about him. Yeah, because he and... wasn't actually in the book that much. Like, he'd show up, basically, but a lot of it was from Anne's point of view about them in competitions for their grades or different ways they were up against each other. But you never really saw him do enough to make you feel like he was interesting or evolving in a way I could care about. Well, and yeah, it definitely wasn't enough to make up for how much I disliked him when he first appeared. Yeah. Which is, I know it's a little early for quotes, but I have a string of quotes that I highlighted of just me being mad at him. So, I would enjoy this. Give this to me. So when you first meet him, you learn that he's like been out of school for a while because his father had to go to oh wait i'm gonna side note four years ago his father was sick and had to go out to alberta for his health and gilbert went with him my only side note is that in college we used to watch a lot of degrassi because it was college and that's what was on at 1 a.m and um there was one time a girl in there that was like had a skating put down for another girl and she said maybe that's how they do it in alberta and ever since then, I can barely read the word Alberta without laughing. <laughs> so, and I'm very sorry to everyone in Alberta because honestly, it looks lovely and I would love to visit. So many mountains and wide open spaces. But, Calgary's great. It's um, great. Anyway, so you first meet him, and this is one of the first times you ever see him. Gilbert Blythe was absorbed in stealthily pinning the long yellow braid of Ruby Gillis, who sat in front of him to the back of her seat. He was a tall boy with curly brown hair, roguish hazel eyes, and a mouth twisted into a teasing smile. Presently, Ruby Gillis started up to take a sum to the master. Sorry, that sentence was very hard for me. She fell back into her seat with a little shriek, believing that her hair was being pulled out by the roots. Everyone looked at her, and Mrs. Mr. Phillips glared so sternly that Ruby began to cry. Gilbert had whisked the pin out of sight and was studying his history with the soberest face in the world. But when the commotion subsided, he looked at Anne and winked. I know it just says, this is a fucked up prank. So, like, she gets in trouble because she yelled. And no one knows why she did because her hair is unpinned. Yeah. That's the first time we see him. And then this, which comes a little later. Gilbert Blythe wasn't used to putting himself out to make a girl look at him and meeting with failure. She should look at him, that red-headed Shirley girl with the little pointed chin and the big eyes. And I just wrote, he sucks. He's, because... like, the <laughs> ultimate example of... The whole boys versus boys for boys will be boys. Trope I wrote and why that we entire note. Everything he does, it's stupid like this. Everyone kind of shrugs off like, like, well, boys will be boys. And it's, no, I go, I keep going. <laughs> and then he gets to become the romantic lead. Like, this is why we're in such a fucked up position with bullying now because exactly. of this book and its friends. Um, so this part is where Anne attacks him because, and then thwack. Anne had brought her slate down on Gilbert's head and cracked it, slate, not head, clear across. Um, and my note here says, insert the Lucille Bluth good for you gif here. <laughs> <laughs> and then keeps going. I'm awfully sorry I made fun of your hair, Anne, he whispered contritely. Honest I am. Don't be mad for keeps now. 
And my note here says, this is a bad apology. He still sucks, and I'm glad she doesn't forget him. Because he is. He's not actually sorry that he's done any of those things. He's sorry that for once in his life, a girl is actually ignoring him. Yeah, he's sorry that his actions actually had consequences. Right? And then this is Diana talking about him. And she says, why, he makes fun of all the girls. He laughs at mine because it's so black. He called me a crow's... This is about her hair. He called me a crow a dozen times, and I never heard of him apologize for anything before either. Yeah, he continues to suck. Yeah, he sucks. So he makes fun of all the girls, so that's okay. And I don't blame Diana for this, but that's exactly what you were saying. It's the boys will be boys attitude. That he's allowed to, like, make these girls feel bad about things like their hair. And it's just seen as, like, that's the way he is. And, oh, aren't you supposed to forgive him and find it cute? Right. No. And Anne's the only one who stands up. And honestly, they're always, like, kind of present it later as Anne kept the grudge for too long. And I'm like, I don't think she did. Like, he gave her one sucky apologize when they were a kid. He always just took it as fact that she should like him. Yeah. He is the epitome of someone being like, but I'm the good guy. As a long-term grudge (sighs) holder, that was one of the few things in this book that endeared Anne to me. I was like, yes, hold that grudge. You earned it. While we're sharing quotes about Gilbert, there is a really good burn from Anne that I would like to share. It was a moment where I was like, yes, Anne, I am highlighting this for once as something where I'm just not like screaming why in my notes. (laughs) Once, when nobody was looking, Gilbert took from his desk a little pink candy heart with a gold motto on it, You are sweet, and slipped it under the curve of Anne's arm. Whereupon, Anne rose, took the pink heart gingerly between the tips of her fingers, dropped it on the floor, ground it to powder beneath her heel, and resumed her position without deigning to bestow a glance on Gilbert. That's very good. I also highlighted that part. I was like, you go, girl. Do it. (laughs) I loved it. I feel like more people should take this inspiration for like people trying to use Valentine's Day as a way to not apologize and gain your favor is, yeah, crush their shitty gifts below your feet. Yeah, those were, that was one of my biggest problems on the reread. I never, I didn't remember loving Gilbert, but I definitely didn't remember hating him this much when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe this because it's seen as so like normalized and I did not care for that you know good for Anne she should not be shown as being in the wrong he sucked maybe he does get marginally better by the end but I don't blame her for holding a grudge and I don't think she was too stubborn I think that he was just sucky yeah (laughs) that's my hill and I'll die on it you're not fighting me but I (laughs) good hill I will I will help carry you up this hill I'm just gonna like Help push you up this hill. Yeah. We're be up this hill together. And we're going to have the high ground then. And you know what you have with the high ground? Victory. Yeah, we're both on the No Gilbert Blythe Hill. I think yeah. if this book could be rewritten with any sort of modern edge, it would be that she'd be in love with Diana. Diana right? <laughs> like, their relationship was immediately like, hello, we're deep soulmates. They were yeah. taking vows over, like, their eternal friendship when they, they were separated they're sending romantic letters to each other they both basically think of the other one as the like epitome of beautiful they develop a system that's basically like morse code lamp flashes in their windows so they can talk to each other and stuff there's a really really cute story about like next door neighbor girls falling in love in early 1900s that is in here it's here yeah 
Plus you have like, she's already living in a quirky living situation with Merla and Matthew. Yeah, there's a beautiful society bending story about Diana and Anne here. And that's what I want. I want that yeah. story. Well, their relationship gives so much more time in this book, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, even when they have other girls that are their friends in the group, it's like, they're the ones that have each other's backs. And they're the ones who never, like never once does Anne shit talk Diana. And actually, that's like, one they, thing I do really love about this book is how you do get all the time and care and attention to the relationships between women. Because it was there was an interesting thread on Twitter a little while back by a male author about like, hey, what do male authors do in their YA books about women that is wrong? And a lot of people brought up the fact that so often the focus is on the love, the love object and the, the you know potential relationship with the guy that like the female friendships sometimes in YA books don't receive the care and attention they deserve. And here in this children's book from 1908. This relationship between Diana and Anne received so much love and attention and all the friendships really did. And it was just so nice that like Gilbert was over there. We didn't get time with him because who the fuck cares about him? Yeah. Tell me more <laughs> about Diana and Anne having romantic tea together. Yeah, it's so great. And they always support each other and they're crazy. Like they'll try things out for the other one, even if they think they might not like it. And they'll they make each other better people like when they're together it's a really it's a really great relationship and even when they're apart they're still in each other's minds mm -hmm. and so Anne was so so sad when diana wasn't going to be coming with her to queens you could feel this deep sadness from her and you were with her on it because you could feel throughout it how much her being separated from diana would be hurtful that was something that was actually really really well built uh yeah uh those two are so good <laughs> I don't, yeah, and it's, I, I like Anne so much more when you see her with Diana because often Anne is so self-centered. Like, her focus on the universe and how everything is is based entirely on her own whims and her own neat desires. With, with Diana, it kind of still is. Like, she's like, so this is, you know, the framing of the world we're living in. This is the universe I live in that you are going to join me in. But she pays such care and attention to Diana and cares so much for her well-being and there is such a desire to help her and be be good with her that I think you see her be a little less selfish in those cases. I didn't really remember the ending of this book. I remember that Matthew died, but I didn't remember her deciding to pass on college. Yeah, I came in this book and went, this book ends with someone dying, right? Like, there's no way this book doesn't end with someone dying. Yeah. It's one of those books. That part was more of a surprise to me. And I thought it was interesting, at least, that she's given kind of like, the agency to make that choice mm -hmm. and then it's not seen i mean Mar marilla doesn't force her to and in fact kind of encourages her not to stay behind it's like you should go to college like she's always been very supportive of it being like i don't know what your future holds like i think this will be good for you we've always wanted to support your education but it was entirely Anne's choice and being presented as being like hey i had this goal but i'm willing to i mean at least delay it perhaps give up on it because like, I wouldn't be happier with that goal than I would letting go of this other thing. I thought it was a decent and interesting... Like, you really got to see into Anne's mind and be like... She really made that decision. It was like, you know what? This is what I want to do. Like, Yeah. And it was so satisfying after seeing how much Marilla loved her throughout the book but couldn't communicate it that Anne had this way of showing and communicating, I love you so much and I want to keep you in the green gables and i want to keep our family safe yeah so i thought that was good i also think that this book is on my terms with nature and that i always do not care for all the books about children going off and living in the wilderness 
But Anne's love of just like constantly wanting to like walk through trees or be outside or look at the flowers, that's the kind of nature love that I can get on board with. Because she's not out there trying to survive in the wilderness with nothing but a knife. Her favorite place to be is just outside in general, like in the sun, in the trees. And that's it. That I could definitely get. And I thought that the way that they wrote her loving those things was very well done. I'm sorry. I know this is an audio medium, so you can't see me making infinite faces at Emily right now. Yeah. Just like sort of a sh- like a dark shame face with some like slight head shaking. Enjoy your botanical gardens. I will go enjoy the botanical gardens of the universe known as backpacking. I mean, I think technically some of what she's going through is kind of wilderness, not really like gardens, at least like farms. I'm just saying. Keep that's your my- curated nature. It's not really all curated, but I'm just saying that she likes being around trees and in the sun and see the clouds. Like, that's how I feel. But I don't necessarily want to survive by having to whittle a fish hook out of a tree stump. Look, you're not necessarily whittling the fish hook out of a tree stump. Um, More often, they end up carving it out of, like, antler or bone. Um, Oh, I remember. (laughs) There's some helpful diagrams in one of the books we read. Oh, God, fishing's the worst. <laughs> oh, yeah, I actually hate fish, so I would not survive well in this whole fishing aesthetic. But you know what I mean? I was like, this kind of love of nature I could get behind. Someone who always wants to just, like, eat a sandwich next to a tree. <laughs> I mean, I like to eat a sandwich next to a tree. I just like to hike six miles out to that tree. No, I don't want to have to hike six miles out to that tree. I want that tree to be right in my backyard. That's my kind of nature love. <laughs> I was just looking through my notes, and I found a note about Diana. It is a tiny quote, but it's why I love Diana, and it's why I think we honestly needed books to get more into Diana. (laughs) So at one point, Anne, because of her imagination and her love of it, starts a basically a writing group where she gets all her friends together, and they all, every week, they each write a story. Anne ends up giving them ideas for all their stories because it's Anne and they don't have ideas. All the girls do pretty well. Ruby Gillis is rather sentimental. She puts too much lovemaking into her stories, and you know too much is worse than too little. Jane never puts any because she says it makes her feel silly when she has to read it out loud. Jane's stories are extremely sensible. Then Diana puts too many murders into hers. She says most of the time she doesn't know what to do with the people, so she kills them off to get rid of them. I love her. I also had the highlighted, just the end part. I was like, that's so funny. Yeah, I was like, Diana's the best. (laughs) Diana, like... Okay, 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 okay. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. So, for if we were doing a modern remake of this book that is a romance between Diana and Anne, they have a true crime podcast together. <laughs> Think about it. And it's a problem because Diana tries to be doing like all the very sensible, like actual information about the crime, and Anne is making up complete, wild, fanciful fake crimes. That's fair. I'll go with it. You know they would. <laughs> Just too many murders. I'm like, Diana's got a dark edge. And also the fact that her response is, I don't know to this person. I'm going to kill them off. I'm like, I understand you, Diana. I understand your writing aesthetic and I'm here for it. Yeah, that part was funny. I thought there was a lot of little glimpses of humor in this book. Like She'll eventually than, become George R. R. Martin. More than I was expecting. I feel like a lot of these classics I kind of remember as being a little like stuffy. Yeah, they dry. And it definitely wasn't. It wasn't dry. It had a lot more humor than I thought. It's definitely like more about how... I was looking back on it than the actual book itself. I have a lot of quotes. I quoted a lot of things, but I will not read them all. But this one I thought was both hilarious and definitely the most disturbing thing I've read in a while. 
And it's when Mrs. Rachel first finds out that Marilla and Matthew are adopting someone. There's a lot of, like, sketchy ways they talk about adoption in this book, BT Dobbs. Like, it's not great. Like I said at the beginning, like, even just the fact that they were basically adopting just so they could have free help is kind of, like, not great. And there's a lot of made of, like, thank God we got Anne and not some other orphan because the rest of them are terrible. (laughs) Like, uh, what? But anyway, back to this. So, uh, Mrs. Rachel is telling Marilla, like, horror stories about adopted children. Why, only last week I read in the paper about how his man and his wife, west of the island, took a boy out of the orphan asylum and he set fire to the house at night. Set it on purpose, Marilla, and nearly burnt them to a crisp in their bed. And I know another case where an adopted boy used to suck the eggs. They couldn't break him of it. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) It's such a throwaway line and yet it like lodged itself in my head. He would just sit there and suck on an egg in the shell? What? Spit it out? The early 1900s were weird. I have so many questions. And they couldn't break him of it? Like he was like waking up early and sneaking out to the hen house and like getting an egg just to suck on it? What's happening? I'm both disturbed and yet want to know more. And that quote is definitely not supposed to take up that much of your mental space. And it still Um, haunts you, doesn't it? It does. I can't get it out of my head. I wanted to point out real quick that there are a lot of times when they refer to Anne as a witch. Just like in characters' descriptions of her. Things like, but this freckled witch was very difficult, and blah blah blah, and who was entirely unsuited to this freckled witch of a girl who didn't care. Like, it comes up a lot. I tried to highlight all of them, but they're all just like very throwaways. And it's not saying it's a bad description, but just like a descriptive way of talking about a girl who kind of like captures you. Um, I thought that was interesting. Um, I just have so many long passages from Anne highlighted. And just the note on all of them of, I hate her so much. I, like, mentioned it in my summary, but the the relationship between her and Matthew was very cute and very well done. Of them just, like, really enjoying each other's company. And, like, him kind of just liking her, like, chatter, like, almost like a radio show or something, just for him. Mm -hmm. And, like, kind of getting into it. Like, starting to kind of know all the, like, stuff in her lives, like, her friends. And, I mean, the fact that he bought her a dress was like kind of a big comedy of errors where he was that kind of dude who's never bought anything for any woman before. He had to try like three times and kept failing. Finally had to go get help and stuff. And it was very, it was very well done to see how these two people who don't have a lot in common got along. This passage is the one I wrote. This writing really reminds me of the Golden Compass. She said, well, we can't get through this world without our shared troubles. I've had a pretty easy life of it so far. My time has come at last, and I'll suppose I'll just have to make the best of it. Something about the way characters, like, go on about something. I have a quote uh, about why I get... I feel like illustrates Anne's way of speaking really well for someone that hasn't read this book. And also illustrates kind of why I get annoyed every time she renames everything. They shouldn't call that lovely place the Avenue. There is no meaning in a name like that. They should call it, let me see, the White Way of Delight. Isn't that a nice imaginative name? When I don't like the name of a place or a person, I always imagine a new one and always think of them so. There was a girl at the asylum whose name was Hepziba Jenkins, but I always imagined her as Rosalia Devere. Other people may call that place the Avenue, but I shall always call it the White Way of Delight. 
oh my god people can't even have their own names like if i have a name what if i like my name what if i like being hepzibah Jen- jenkins and then Anne comes up and is like no you're rosalia your name's not good enough maybe the avenue likes being the avenue like her desire to rename everything also her names suck there's a pond it's barry's pond it's a good pond it was barry's pond it enjoyed being barry's pond it lived a very good boring pond life but she's like i don't like that name either i shall call it let me see the lake of shining waters that name sucks. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't like them either. But I think aside from Her the people... are objectively bad. The people thing is different. The names, I think, are supposed to be over the top and bad because she's like a little girl who has like a crazy imagination, but also like hasn't... I mean, she hasn't had exposure to a lot of things, but so they're always like... don't tell her this is endearing then. Be like, your name sucks, child. Well, they all think it's endearing. Ugh. I liked this part where when she's first like... Don't rename people without their consent. People get to decide their own names. When she's first meeting Marilla. (laughs) Where it says, can't I call you Aunt Marilla? No, I'm not your aunt, and I don't believe in calling people names that don't belong to them. But we could imagine you were my aunt. I couldn't, said Marilla grimly. (laughs) I love Marilla. Yeah. Uh, This one part, she says, this is just my note I have. It says, Anne, you have talked even on for 10 minutes by the clock, said Marilla. And I wrote, yes, I know. I read it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also like when they're in the school, every once in a while, the glimpse of like 19, I mean, by this point, like 1910 or whatever, gossips and the way they speak and what's the like hot thing that's happening in the schoolyard. For instance, before Gilbert gets there and they say that he's coming, Gilbert Blythe said Anne, isn't his, his name that's written up on the porch wall with Julia Bells and a big take notice over them? And I like that that's the, like, slight, like, take notice, (laughs) these two. And there's another part later where Diana's complaining about one of the other girls at school. And she's like, Gertie Pye actually went and put her milk bottle in my place in the brook yesterday. Did you ever? I don't speak to her now. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) I didn't really touch on it, but the first school teacher they have also sucks. Like, he's not great. And there's one part where he punishes her and for something like he basically want they even say in a book like he just wants to punish someone and she has like a slight infraction that he pounces on way too hard and she gets so mad about it that she drops out of school for a while and Marilla and Matthew kind of let it are like yeah I mean he's not a good teacher so she's not missing anything <laughs> but he's not and yet they all cry when he leaves yeah I can't say I missed anything in my life by not reading this book. Other than the fact I think I would have enjoyed it more as a kid, I feel like I would have been more into its level of melodrama. As an adult, with an adult brain, being an adult person who pays taxes, <laughs> reading this book, it's just very difficult because, I, yeah, her level of melodrama and imagination is like, don't you know the world will take this from you? Yeah, I think that rereading it was not as much fun as I had hoped I guess because yeah a lot of her speeches that went on too long I kind of was just like oh my god girl get to your point speeches that went on too long are called all of them yeah and again even just the characters like talking out loud to themselves was a little much I was not as enchanted with it as the people who were in the book were however I love this book so much for what it is and for like setting up this character we're like Having a girl who is kind of annoying and has a lot of faults is allowed to be the heroine and that's it. 
I mean, at one point, she helps those kids who are sick and kind of, like, saves them. But there's no, like, she rode a horse through the rain or she punched out a robber or anything. Like, she's just allowed to be a girl with, like, a stupid imagination who does things that are kind of almost a little embarrassing and cringy and very, like, truly little kiddish. And that's it. And that's the hero. And that's who everyone loves. I loved having that. And even as a kid, I liked it. I liked that she was just allowed to be a person... There was no even crazy historical context swirling around her. Like, it wasn't during a war or something. She just was. That was it. And that she is allowed to be annoying. Like, it's a little, like, Leslie Nope in my mind. <laughs> where it's like, Leslie's not perfect. She annoys people around her a lot. And I love her so much. She's one of my favorite characters of all time. I can relate to that a lot. Like, I chatter at people. I've always seen it as one of my best habits, quite honestly. <laughs> but, um... I liked that. So it was like, yeah, it maybe didn't make it as much fun to reread for me. And I'm not sure. It's definitely not one of my favorite books now, and it never was. But it gets so much more points in my mind for being what it is and for having like a sense of humor. Maybe I don't love Anne that much. She's not my favorite character, but I love who she represents. <laughs> My problem with a lot of it is, you know, yeah, she doesn't punch a robber. She doesn't run it, ride a horse through the rain. But she also doesn't really do anything. There's not all of her struggle seems to have occurred before the book began. Once the book began, she doesn't really have any struggle she overcomes in general. There just isn't really anything moving things forward, which I guess is the point. But that's not for me necessarily and anything that does happen we don't actually see all basically all action that happens is off stage and we get to find out about all the things she does like the teas and the lectures and the events and the concerts and the everything else through she comes home and talks about to marilla or matthew or diana and so we get to hear about everything through her narration which if you are enjoying her fanciful way of talking about things, if you're enjoying her flights of fancy about the world, you get this, her sense of wonder about all these experiences she has and her just pure level of delight in, you know, having tea and these picnics and things. And she, you get that sort of wave of joy she has. But if you're not enjoying her way of discussing it, it's more like a tidal wave that's pulling you under into a riptide and you're drowning and dying and there's no plot to pull you out. And there's no actual action to pull you out. It's just her describing things for hundreds of pages. I hundreds. sincerely do not understand. Hundreds, like, Emily. I didn't love her monologues, but they didn't annoy me as much as they annoyed you. And it is mind-boggling to me that these annoyed you so much, but you loved the Golden Compass. Well, so for me, I think the difference is actually, like, if you... I think it comes down to, especially, like, if you look at, like, I also love Lord of the Rings... It's a small difference, but I am not a fan of purple prose dialogue. I am a fan of purple prose description. <laughs> but I feel like there are, I can't get into the Golden Compass again. <laughs> yeah, Golden Compass, they did like spend too much time describing things, but I felt like we also saw things happen. And in this book, we didn't see things happen. I mean, I guess we're going right into the ratings with this. But what I, I'm saying I can is... read so many quotes of her doing weird descriptions of things where it's all just my notes going, why is this happening? No, I just... I have highlighted so I many mean, things. Yeah, there were you, so many pages for me to highlight. If you hate Anne, then you're obviously not going to like these books. Yes. I didn't hate her, though. Like I said, I don't think me and her would be, like, super friends, but I also don't think I would hate her in real life. Like, I like her. What really saves it for me, maybe part of it is bias because I know that I like the other books better. 
I don't enjoy it as much when she's younger. I like it better when she becomes a little bit more of an adult and has a little bit more of like responsibilities and goals and stuff. But you're right, there is no plot except for a young girl growing up a little and trying to find a way to be in the world. And that's it. Governor Inyo, even when she first comes, like she's known by the end of the book for being smart and studying hard. And when she first comes, she's not known for that. Like she's never even been to school. Yeah, too bad even... we don't get more of her actually studying and instead of her just describing studying. That is a terrible point, Kelly. Because how would you... <laughs> oh, yeah, didn't get more descriptions of her sitting at the table with a book. I would enjoy that. Oh, Thanks. You're just being contrary. <laughs> yeah, you've met me and now um, I'm going to hold a grudge against you for 30 years. I love the friendships. I love that she is kind of obnoxious and very true to what like an eight-year-old kid would too much energy who likes talking and hasn't had a whole lot of love or interaction in her life is like like I said it's not something I'll probably reread anytime in the future but like I would again I'm skipping a hello it's like I would give this book to my niece you know I am glad that I read it I think it's a classic for a reason but yeah if you don't like Anne then there's no hope for you liking this book I'm gonna go right into my rating which I would give it a 5.5 <laughs> okay so I think it's really enjoyed this book. I would have expected higher. I know. Well, because like I said, I don't really want to reread it that much anymore. And I like the other books in the series better. Um, I think it's, you know, a 5.5 because it's slightly better than average. And I like, like I said, I like it. And I think it's a classic. But, you know, I hated Gilbert. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I thought Marilla was a little more interesting than Anne a lot. Like, I have problems. And even as a little kid. This was not my favorite book. So it's not going to get like a super high score for me. I definitely thought it was crossing the line between... If the line between good and bad is just fine, I think it's slightly better than fine. (laughs) Oh, what to give it? What to give it? I'm going to give it a 3.5. And three of those points are based on the fact that it has survived to become a classic in 36 language. Those are three points of endurance. The I mean, the rating is clever if you enjoy what it's doing there's a very distinct style for the book it engages with it really well the characters are like there's a lot of fun side characters i love them very much if it had been a romance between Anne and diana i would have given it so many more points so yeah there's a lot of stuff in it that's good i just didn't enjoy it um i would not reread this book that's not a thing i would do i am very glad it is on kindle and i can just return it after this podcast is done The weird thing is, though, I probably would give it to a kid because I think a kid could actually enjoy this. While I, a curmudgeonly, soul-dead, broken-hearted, tax-paying adult, cannot enjoy it because my sense of whimsy is dead um, and my heart beats for nothing, I cannot enjoy it. My spirit is gone. It's 2019. But I feel like a child, a wee child, a wee bairn, could enjoy this book for it has... You know, a girl that has adventures, grows up, has a very excited view of the world. I feel like a child could enjoy this. I cannot. So I would give it a higher rating for a child, but I am not a child. (laughs) I'm going to make you read the other one. No! Every other book you make me read, I will make you read A Boy Trapped in the Woods. You're already going to make me read A Boy Trapped in the Woods. Yeah, but there's like 30 books that Gary Paulson wrote I wasn't going to make you read. And guess we're gonna go on this adventure together yeah but the next one's better there are a lot of sequels to hatchet the third one wasn't my favorite i think after the fourth one i was out 
It all blends together. After that, though, we can't read it because neither of us has read it, so we have to find someone that has read those. Yeah, at a certain point, she, like, grows up, and it starts to be about, like, her kids and stuff. And I hate that. Yeah. Every time a book goes, like, here's the next generation, I'm like, and I'm out. Bye. Yeah, I was like, I don't need to know this. No. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this adventure through this very classic book. Um, If you enjoyed it more than me, feel free to yell at me on Twitter and tell me I'm wrong. Our Twitter is throwbackbspod. Uh, you can also email us at throwbackbookstack at gmail.com. Our music this week is Heartbreaker by Jazar, betterwithmusic.com. If you like us and you actually got this far in the podcast, oh my God, congratulations. Thank you for being here with us here at the end of all things. Uh, you could fix our horrible 2019 and our broken hearts and make me feel like I have achieved something by reading this book. By going on iTunes and reviewing us and rating us, hopefully something nice. Five stars is a beautiful number of stars. It's elegant, classic, pretty. Please rate us so that people find us and are trapped here too. If you didn't like it, please don't listen to the end of a podcast you don't enjoy. Hate listening is not going to get you anywhere in life. There's so many podcasts. We get along well with all of our friends in the hashtag lady pod squad. So if you want to find other podcasts by female creators, um, there are some incredible ones out there. I fully recommend that you all go check out The Cutaways and Happily Ever Aftermath and just go on Twitter and check out that hashtag. Find some new beautiful content. Other than that, Emily's staring at me. What? We have a Goodreads now. We have a Goodreads now. You give that information because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> to double check, I do believe we're under Kelly and Emily or maybe just Kelly Emily. But you can also, I think you can search on Goodreads by our Gmail address. That is so, okay, we need to work on this. I know. I, I, it's it's set up, it's in the very beginning stages, but all the books we have read are on there in all our ratings, and it'll get better in time. But I'm just exists. saying, you've got to get that end of the show pattern down, Listen, now that you're joining me on it. I was hoping that you would take over that part. <laughs> you know me, always fobbing things off on you. That's how I roll. <laughs> so next time, we'll be back reading Robin McKinley's Beauty, a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. So if that's your jam, come join us next time. Other than that, have a good time. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your world. Enjoy your gables. Hey, Emily. What Are you going to ask what a gable is? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was an architecture term, but I'm not sure why they're green. I thought it was like kind of like the awning over like a little window that sticks out of a roof. I don't know what I'm thinking of, though. <laughs> anyway, if you know what green gables are, message us. Other than that, we'll see you all next time. Sorry, I can't sing the theme song today. I'm just going to sing 1999 if you asked me. Emily, (laughs) sing the theme song. I just want to go back, back to 1999. (laughs) Oh, God. I need to think of a rhyme real fast about, like, read the old books. I just realized that the real line is neighborhood, which is so close to rhyming with book.